We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, the Draft Recap Special Edition. We're coming to you a couple days earlier this week. We wanted to uh, get out some fresher takes here and not, not wait until Wednesday. So we're going to break it all down, draft winners, losers, and some fantasy fallout all here over this next hour here on Rotowire. Welcome back in to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We're sponsored by Dynasty Owner for this episode, so check them out. We'll get to them a little bit later on. But Mario, a couple things here. So we're we're kind of the boots on the ground guys as far as the, the draft goes uh, over here at Rotowire. How are you feeling 48 hours removed or so from the draft? Are you recovered? Are you refreshed? Did you catch up on some sleep? Um, I didn't catch up on any sleep, but uh, the draft itself was a lot less stressful than it was, Like especially like I've, I've been doing it for a while. Like, I don't even remember how long, 10, 12 years or something at Roto-Wire. And uh, back in the day, granted, we used to do fewer notes back in the day. Like, I feel like we only did something like uh, – what would it have been like something like 150 notes per draft maybe but then at some point we ended up getting uh the, the order to do every pick and i used to do that for like a year or two and then quickly they got you in the fold and even that was pretty difficult so we had a little more help with uh with joe bartle and was it jordan uh what is yep, it like? jordan, jordan mazara okay i thought that's what it was but i didn't want to just butcher it but yeah those guys helped us out a lot which was awesome uh, so yeah i'm not a I'm, I'm feeling battered i guess but it's not for the draft reasons it's for uh Everything else, but yeah, it's uh, it was normally the worst day of the year for me by far was day three of the NFL draft, and I think this might be the first year where I don't even say that. Yeah, it 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 went smoothly again. Big yeah, big thanks to to Joe and Jordan for for pitching in on that, of course. But yeah, it to me the draft kind of feels like the professional world equivalent of finals week, where like <laughs> it, like you've been studying all semester, but like it doesn't really help with your stress like it the bottom line is like you are just going to have to be on for a lot uh over the next you know couple of days you got to be at your sharpest so it my brain was totally oatmeal by the end of it um i, I think <laughs> I, I wrote up brock purdy mr irrelevant so la- last pick of the draft <laughs> and like forgot to do like all the database stuff that that's like you know we, we're supposed to be like adding them to the depth chart and stuff like that i was just like nope my brain just simply does not work uh at the moment like i'm just bloviating about i thought you were gonna say that you did a a, a, like a fry-brained pun like this is a purdy pick or something (laughs) pretty pretty good yeah Yeah. and with that i I, uh (laughs) with like 10 more picks i I think that that absolutely would have happened so it's best for all parties um that that it ended at at pick 262 um i want to say and then uh, my last other question for you before we get rolling into, into some of the draft winners and losers. Do you have a budding feud with Marlon Humphrey on Twitter? <laughs> uh, I doubt he cares who I am, but uh, I, I have to make fun of him uh, for a little while more yet because of him trying to uh, put down undrafted guys who, who um, 
don't know. It's it's he was he was making fun of them for saying like, oh, I've I've got that fire. I'm gonna make it. That you know, I got that chip in my shoulder, and it's like. Why are you making fun of them? Like they, they let them let them have some hope. Some of them aren't gonna make it. You know, you don't need to put them down. Um, and it was it was like a short fuse kind of thing for me because I was like, oh, maybe somebody else uh, said that I'd let it go. But if it's if it's the guy who is especially recently anyway well known for going on Twitter to talk about how he's getting ripped off by the, the monkey cartoon people. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just offensive. Like you can't be blowing $250,000 on a stupid monkey cartoon and then making fun of like, if they're going to burn out their $5,000 signing bonus, you know, by the end of the month, cause their family's got things to worry about. So, yeah. I was just like, ah, no, no, no. You're the, you're the monkey cartoon guy. You don't get to make fun of these people. Uh, that, yeah, that is kind of a, a rich uh, little uh, dynamic there. Uh, you know, Mar- but he had that Mar- funny tweet too, where he's like, "As a man who is constantly defrauded and and is <laughs> fooled on a daily basis, <laughs> tricked into believing a number of false identities by the hour." Um, yeah, that was the, the catfish guy. I didn't even know who that yeah. guy was. Is that the, I never followed up with. I believe so. Thing. Yes. So yeah, okay. the, uh, <laughs> the double catfish uh, from the same person uh, is what he was saying. So. Uh, pretty, pretty funny stuff there, but uh, yeah, Humphrey, uh, pretty funny guy on, on Twitter. But uh, I think that you you weren't out, out of line to, uh, to to call him on the on the hypocrisy there a little bit. So let's get into it. Who, in your mind, were the big winners and losers from this draft? I thought there were a lot more losers than winners. I thought one of the clear winners was your team, actually, John, the Ravens, and. I guess that's how it goes most years. I can't really remember the time. I guess Hayden Hurst was the last time I was like, what the hell is wrong with the Ravens? Uh, mm-hmm. What are they doing? What are they thinking? And then that, of course, only lasted uh, six picks or whatever it was. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm still mad about it, but I, I, I no longer, uh, like I, I rescind the fatwa or whatever, at least. Um, they just, they've pretty much dominated, I don't know, 10 years of drafts. And this one was one of their better ones yet, I think. Like, um I wasn't even a fan of Linderbaum exactly. Not that I was against him. I just thought like uh, a, a center like him, I think is, is that worse? Like every three years kind of thing. I think there are some guys you look at and you're like, Oh, this, this is a once every five, once every 10 type. And I don't think Linderbaum is that, but the Ravens have such a well-constructed roster already that adding a merely good player at a position of need is, is a pretty big, uh, like it pays off more for them than it would have been for like a bad team adding Linderbaum, I think, and trading back before getting him. Uh, the other picks were just kind of, uh, you know, just, just a lot of solid, just good idea picks and uh, a high volume of them too. I actually, I thought their worst one was, uh, was Charlie Kohler from Iowa State just because mm-hmm. um, he was so weird when I, when I watched him. He was so much different than I thought he would be because, you know, on the the height, weight, the the depth charts or whatever. He was initially for the past couple of years anyway. He was listed at like six six two sixty five or something like that, and he turned out to be six seven two fifty. And uh, so when you you see a big tight end, he's like two sixty two fifty five plus, and catching a ton of passes the way Kohler did at Iowa State. Normally that's a pretty top notch tight end prospect, but then uh, I think as it turns out, when you turn on his tape, he was just kind of making a lot of catches even though he didn't really know what he was doing just because he is a six, seven guy who runs a four, six, two. And that's a certain level of usefulness. I don't think he's like a bum or anything. It's just that you would think a guy like that would just dominate. And instead when I watched him, I thought it looked Dan Arnold, like a better Dan Arnold, like a Dan Arnold who is actually a tight end and not just a receiver who can't line up uh, outside. So that, that was a weird one. And I'm not exactly high on Isaiah likely, but I, I do. Yeah. I do like the vision of it and I like like the premises underlying it. Like I, I think they do need to get more quality tight end reps um, if they're not going to get the underneath passing game going again. And Roman doesn't seem like he's going to. So if they're not going to make teams pay for pay uh, playing like too high off coverage with five defensive backs every single snap, then they have to be able to run better than they did last year. So getting the running backs back helps, of course, uh, but also being able to put quality tight end three and four reps on the field freeing up Andrews to play more receiver and offset the loss of Marquise Brown. That's actually a vision I'm pretty fond of. I think that could really work well if, if just one of Kohler or likely turn out to be useful. And there's a decent chance they're both kind of good backup role player types. Yeah. I, I think I just kind of had the, the visceral reaction of like, if you take Charlie Kohler, why are you taking Isaiah likely? But yeah. Um, but I, I started, time- uh, I, 
I was just gonna say, like, that was a point in the the note writing process where I think I wrote up likely, but not Kohler. Um, and when the likely pick came up, and I, I you know, you kind of go on autopilot for little bits of time, and I, I sort of, you know, came to, and I'm looking at this finished Isaiah likely note, and it says he's going to the Ravens, and I'm like, wait a second, I must have mixed this up. Kohler went to the Ravens, and then I started <laughs> to like unravel like for a second there before I was able to like, wait, no, they just they both went. It's fine. Uh, I thought I was gonna have to like undo the note and the the admin and like who knows what else, whatever oh, fires gosh. would have come out of that. Yeah, that's a, that's always a scary thought because you, you really do feel like you're you're kind of just in the belly of the whale when you're at like pick one fifty and you have like you know another hundred to go and it's like did I just miss something and just like throw yeah. off the whole uh, order the rest of the way. But yeah, I I think in a vacuum I, I like both those players. I thought those were good picks. I thought uh, Daniel Faeli was a you know worthwhile you know uh, test. You know, super interesting guy. Like yeah. when when the athletics started, he was kind of like the centerpiece of like their college football like discussions and and stuff. You know, it's just like there's a mammoth Australian down at IMG Academy. Let's see, let's take a look, see and see see if he. Well, that, that was the anything. genesis of uh, the freak list back because uh, they heard about him in like middle school or something when he was only six seven. Yeah, exa- mm-hmm. I mean, like they, they said, um, I, I was reading some more background on him and, and apparently he like went to Hawaii when he was like a young teenager and got like a division one offer on the spot for, from like the Hawaii coach <laughs> and like all this other stuff. So, I mean, he, just an absolute giant person. So, you know, it's sort of reminiscent of, of the Orlando Brown pick potentially. Uh, we'll see oh, if, yeah, if, yeah. if he has any um, qualms with playing on the right side. I don't think he should, given that he played on the right side at Minnesota, yeah. but um yeah, no, I, th- I thought that was an interesting pick. Uh, taking Stout as the first punter, uh, it, so that this shows that we're, we're probably near the end of the Ravens discussion, but I, I thought that was a little bit funky. And I know that uh, Matt Ariza from, from San Diego State was kind of considered to be uh, the punter of, of this class, but... Uh, I'm sorry, was the criticism with him, like, I don't even know anything about these guys. I didn't look at the punters, but uh, I remember reading something on Twitter... I wish I could remember who it was. Uh, something about like Areza's best punts were in parts of the field where the new age analytics say you should go for it anyway. And like I, that, that wouldn't check out to me, but you know, uh, obviously this, this person looked, looked into it, but like Arise is known for being able to punt it like 70 yards. So like, Oh I don't, yeah, that doesn't make I, any sense. So, so that, I want to pick him. Yeah. If you're, if you're so Huge puns are awesome. poisoned, Yes. If you're analytics, so analytics poisoned that you think that like you need to go from it, go for it on your own 25, then like, I don't know, go, go back to the draw. No, that, yeah, that doesn't check out then, but it would, I, I, I can imagine people yeah, saying like, oh, he, he's losing net yardage because uh, he's getting like, he's punting it too far sometimes or something like, I don't care if I'm at my own, especially if I'm in my own, like, you know, 20 yard liner back further, if I can kick it through the other team's end zone, that's, that's awesome. Cause they're like, yeah. Oh, crap how did he just kicked it right back to our side it sucks <laughs> we thought we had them yeah um, see so yeah, i don't so even care if he if he just like has no accuracy at all it's like i just like the, the idea of yeah just reversing the field whenever i want oh 100 i mean like there, there's a reason why san diego state was, was like as bad offensively as they were this year and still like a bowl eligible team and like uh, i i wonder what the punt punch for it <laughs> yeah it, it really kind of was it was it was always trippy. Like you, you turn on San Diego state, you know, late Saturday night, some, some mountain West action. And, and like, he's kind of the, the main attraction of that game is it it very uh, dangerous situation for uh, Colorado state as they have uh, the Aztecs pinned at their own two yard line and Areza is coming onto the field. Oh God. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, that, that that's actually not even uh, that far out of bounds on it. Um, I, who else I thought did well? I thought Indianapolis ha- had a good draft. You know, they, they didn't have a first round selection, but I liked the guys that they got. I thought all of them were, were you know, pretty, pretty valuable. I, I like Alec Pierce. I like Jelani Woods. Um, Bernard Ryman is someone who, you know, I, you know, I've whiffed pretty bad on that. I put him in the first round in my first mock, didn't put him in the second one, but getting that's him at 77, I, I think that's fine. I, and I, I like Nick Cross a lot um, out of Maryland as well. Yeah, um, I'm not like a huge fan of Jelani Woods exactly. I thought he maybe maybe went a little early, but I like the vision that they're indicating with that pick too because um, Alec Pierce, the second round pick, I know some people weren't so high on that selection, but I thought it was good. And I think he fits well with, with what they're 
what they should be doing, which in my opinion, of course, is uh, feature Jonathan Taylor. And I think one of the ways you make Jonathan Taylor even more dangerous is uh, having Mo Ali Cox and Jelani Woods on the field. And the way I would run an offense in the NFL, especially with all this too high stuff that we're seeing now, is I would want to just have, you know, huge, fast, strong guys at the bookending my tackles, basically, and have this ambiguity before every snap, whether I'm going to bash it between the tackles or throw far down the seam with, uh, in this case, we have Mo Ali Cox and Jelani Woods. They're both huge guys. They are huge for tight ends, both of them, and they're both athletic uh, by general tight end standards, let alone tight ends as big as they are. So if those guys are getting, you know, 20, 30 pounds on the linebackers that they're sealing in the run game, that's giving Taylor, you know, angles to work with breaking runs outside. That's, that's harmful for the defense. And to adjust to that, they have to their own defense bulkier and play closer to the line of scrimmage. And that's at once kind of what you have to do against that Woods, Moelle Cox kind of look. And it's also not something you really, it's not a situation you want to end up in because they're still probably a lot faster than the guy you're putting on them then. Because if you're putting, if you're putting someone who's the same size as Woods on Woods, it's highly unlikely that he moves the way Woods does. So exactly. I think you're like bashing in the middle with the, the, the two big tight ends a lot and then working in, you know, deep shot play action passes to a guy like Pierce, who on those run plays, by the way, being 6'3", 211, he's going to have a weighted and reach advantage over the corners that are covering him. I think it's, it's just a lot of good personnel for keeping a defense just uncomfortable all the time. 100%. So, yeah, I, I really like the way that Indianapolis has kind of approached that this whole offseason. I think that Matt Ryan is, is definitely an upgrade. Um, He's going to yeah, have a really good year, I think. Yeah, so I'm 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 looking forward to to acquiring some shares of his uh, commenter. Uh, Clipboard Jesus uh, notes that this could be uh, that the Woods pick in particular probably spells trouble for for one Kylan Granson, but uh, that that's more for your your two tight end just, dynasties. Yeah, I think it's just that they have uh, two different tight end positions. There's the inline subtype, and there's like the so called move subtype. And Granson's clearly the second one. So he, he basically doesn't play the same position as Mo Ali Cox or Jelani Woods. Uh, if he's on the field instead of one of the two, it's because it called for a different formation than, you know, the, the other two. Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Hold out a, a little bit of hope there, but yeah, I mean, the, the investment in Woods seems to suggest that, you know, it's a, it's also Ali possible Cox. Woods doesn't play that much. Like he could just be more, they only have a one year restricted free agent. Oh wait, did they sign Cox, Mo Alex Cox to a three year deal? I can't remember, but they might view Woods as more like a developmental guy in case, you know, Mo Ali Cox is out or that walks in a couple of years or whatever. I mean, it, it, in fairness, like it did take Woods a while to, to break out and it, you know, took him, basically transferring to Virginia to a Virginia system that smart, you know, smartly for, for him, he saw how they used Tony Poljan and were like, and was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to go check that out. Um, yeah. But, and it, and it worked out beautifully for him. He got, you know, got picked in, in the third round. So that that's good. But um, you know, it's, it's worth noting that, you know, some, someone who has the kind of unique frame that, that Woods does, you know, there, there could be, you know, a bit of a, a steep learning curve when, when it comes to playing the position um, in the NFL um, Kansas City, another team that, that we talked about bef- uh, a little bit before the show, uh, is one that that you liked. That they obviously, yeah, had those two first round picks. I think a lot of people were expecting them to go ahead and, and take a receiver with one of those. But when when you have six receivers go in the first eighteen picks, like, it, and I felt the same with with the Packers too. Very similar boat, be, uh, having those two picks in the in the twenties, where it's like, okay, they, they walk away without a receiver despite needing one. But if they took one. With, with either of those picks, it would have been a pretty colossal reach. So it, I think it made sense the way that the board fell to them to just try to try to fortify those other positions. So, you know, in Kansas City's case, getting Trent McDuffie and, and George Karloftis in the first round is pretty sweet. Yeah, I really liked uh, both of those picks, even though I'm not really a McDuffie fan exactly. Like, I'm probably a little low. A lot of people thought McDuffie was going to be like a top 12 pick. And some of the some of the loftier valuations of him were were pointing toward Jair Alexander as a reason why and he never was Jair but he's still a good corner prospect and a team like the Chiefs could use a player like him for sure to to get him and another first round pick and as good as Karlaftis that's that's pretty good too like his worst case scenario is something like Derek Barnett but I think he's probably going to be better than that uh he has he has a lot more in common 
I, and I, I know this is kind of stupid to do this, but, uh, you know, Ryan Kerrigan, it's not just that he played at Purdue. He has almost the exact same height, weight, athleticism details as Karlaftis. So Kerrigan was a hell of a player in the NFL for a long time. Karlaftis, uh, you know, the freshman year, especially that he had at Purdue was pretty rare. You don't really see that very often. And, uh, also, his 40 time, I thought, was running, wasn't it running like windy, rainy conditions or something like that? So it might have been a little bit uh, less than charitable toward uh, him, too. Still so, faster than David Bell. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> barely. But uh, yeah, it, it's um, it's it's like a pick like that is going to help them, I think, heal from the stupid Frank Clark trade. He's, he's just he just sucks. It's not worth uh, what they paid to get him or what they paid to keep him around. I think Carl Aftis is is more of a real deal kind of player than him. I expect him to be an upgrade, but uh, it's not just those first rounders. I actually think they got the best inside linebacker in the draft in Leo. I guess it's pronounced Chanel, even though it's not spelled Chanel. Um, uh, yeah. So Leo Chanel, uh, they should probably fix that. Um, he, he's, I think the best inside linebacker in the draft. And I think uh, people made a couple mistakes in evaluating him. They, the, basically the concern with him was, he can't play in the NFL of today that he's, he's a 1985 linebacker who, who, you know, needs a bill Parcells three, four and uh, wears one of those big neck rolls uh, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, can't turn, can't cover. So that was, that was what people assumed about him. I just, I think it's just plainly not true. I think a lot of the times when someone is big as Chanel, and by the way, he was even bigger at Wisconsin than he was at the combine at the combine. He was six, three, two fifty at Wisconsin. He was playing more like two sixty two or something. So, if even if he showed like stiffness or, or like problems turning in coverage on tape at Wisconsin, you have to imagine what he's going to look like 10 pounds lighter, which is what he was at the combine. When he went, he ran a four five three, had the 41 inch vertical and he was by far the best player on a Wisconsin defense that, what was it? Like probably the second best after Georgia or something like that, or top five. Mm-hmm. Anyway, very good defense. He was clearly the best one. He's got, you know, just a grade athleticism, in a straight line, especially in, in a uh, burst sense with the, the vertical and the broad jump numbers. So that one thing about coverage, I just I'm shocked if he's so bad that it makes it not worth having him on the field for the plays that he definitely is good at, which is to say all the other kinds, like he, he just shuts down things against the run. If you blitz him inside, he'll just throw. I mean, Linderbaum got wrecked by Leo Chanel and Linderbaum of course is a good player. So I, I don't understand how, Chanel can just win that matchup against a, one of the best interior linemen in his peer group and then get to the NFL and just, oh, we can't – do we think he's not going to get to the backfield anymore? Do we think Do we think this just frighteningly huge and fast guy is going to look like anything other than those things at the NFL level? I don't buy it. So I think he's going to be uh, – he's, he's going to Wally Pip Willie Gay within the next two years, and it's going to be Bolton and Chanel at linebacker. Uh, I don't think Willie Gay – I don't know what his deal is exactly. Maybe they need outside. I, mean, I always thought Willie Gay was like, su- you know, super athletic, but I, I guess it just like doesn't really translate that that well, or, or he doesn't translate it. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't well. that productive in college, and maybe there was a reason. Uh, I, I think he uh, don't don't mean to slander the boy, but I, I think he's the guy that that punched Garrett Schrader in the face um, at, at Miss State, if I remember correctly. Oh. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what that incident is. Yeah, no, yeah, like Schrader like couldn't play in their bowl game, and then it, it came out afterward that uh, took one uh, right, right to yeah. right to the face. Um, but um, my my other note on, on uh, Chanel, um, uh, Wisconsin tweeted out like a, a video of him, and you can see in the initial thumbnail, uh, he wrote uh, "death" in sh- in sharpie <laughs> okay. down, down his bicep. That was, that's like. That's so cool. That's such cool, dumb guy stuff that I love it. Like if, <laughs> it's not corny when it's that stupid, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, like it, if he was, if he was doing like Trevor Penning, like uh, I'm a beast, I'm a warrior stuff, like that's that's a little corny and lame. But if you write in Sharpie "death" in all caps on your arm, that's that's just bewildering. I love it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, man. So yeah. uh, had had to drop that. You got that dog in him, and that's proof. See precisely, dude. Um, other teams that, that I thought did well, and then we'll, we'll start bashing uh, here in, in a second. Um, I thought Philly did great. Um, you, you oh, know, yeah. I, I think that you know, obviously, like the AJ Brown trade is is, um, is the is the gem of it. But they, they get a couple of, of bulldogs um, at, at good values. I, I really wanted Jordan Davis on, on the Ravens 
Uh, so for him to, to fall to, to or to get scooped by Philly, um, I thought that was a good pick by them. Um, yeah. and then, I think he's uh, going to be a total monster, too. I think he also had – the way people talked about Trayvon Walker never making plays – or whatever it's like yeah they the defense is so good no one ever gets a first down so they run like what 55 plays a game as it is and then you have to compete with six other first round picks to get your stats it's like what someone figure out why uh he might not have big numbers to figure this one out but uh being two four uh, sorry 340 and running the four seven eight or whatever it is um also he did he already did a good job it's not like he's all speculation you know projection in the nfl or whatever it's like he was holding down wide gaps that were letting those other guys like Nicobe Dean and, and Walker run, uh, Tra- Trayvon and uh, what's his name? Uh, Quay run around quite a bit with freedom. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's, he's going to, I think he's going to be more like a Haloti Nada than like uh, what's, what's like the, the last bad gigantic defensive tackle pick. I don't know. Uh, like anything. Terrence Cody, Rashid Hagman. Yeah. Hagman. Yeah. He's not, he's not Hagman or, or Cody. He's definitely going to be more like Nada. I think. I think so too. And, and getting him like next to Fletcher Cox, like, dang, oh my that's, God. that's, that's so serious. Even like, at like 32 Fletcher Cox is still probably no less than something like the eighth most athletic defensive tackle in the league or something. Yeah. He he's, he's crazy. So uh, love that. Um, I, I thought that the Nicobe Dean pick, I mean, you get him at 83, uh, you, you're, you're not quite at, at lottery ticket territory in the, in the third, but uh, when, when a guy as talented as him is there, I mean, I thought that was a totally wor- worthwhile gamble. And, you know, obviously the, the big story on Friday night was, was the medical uh, red flags uh, when it comes to him. But that it sounds like Philly is sold enough on on what's going on with his pack and everything to where it's cool. Yeah, especially with the more generous IR rules these days. I don't I understand it's disruptive to have a guy on your team who is good enough that you need to keep them in your plans all the time, but then they keep getting yanked out of your plans by durability troubles. I know that's frustrating on a logistical level for teams, but like, especially when you're, when you're not actually counting on him, when he's like your your third linebacker at the most, uh, or if necessary, they don't need him to be more than like their third linebacker this year. And when you're with a fourth round pick, um, I, I think it's pretty much no risk all upside for them in their particular situation. Totally. Uh, yeah. Dean flies all over the field. You watch the film like he he knows like his knowledge of of the defense that Kirby Smart wanted to run was like so inside out. Like there's a, the famous play of him calling out the the orbit um, motion to to uh, Blake Corum in the Orange Bowl. And he just diagnoses it, chases him all the way across the field and tackles him in the backfield. And then there's the play close to the goal line in the national championship game where he you know, gets on, I think it was Channing Tindall for, for missing an assignment. It might've been Quay actually, but um, you know, he just, he knew exactly not only where he needed to be, but where like everyone needed to be for, for it all to work. So like he's got it up here, engineering degree guy from the university of Georgia. So pretty good. Um, sharp contrast to a uh, Kayvon Thibodeau journalism degree. Oh, Everybody with a journalism degree is stupid as hell. That, I mean, that's facts, man. But yeah. <laughs> um, And then uh, I, I liked, uh, the both New York or uh, I suppose technically New Jersey teams. Uh, I thought the Giants and Jets both did well. I mean, they were they're put in a, a position to where that that was easier to do, but they they still I thought like hit it out of the park with with the picks that they did make. So I was a little um, I'm not going to say disappointed in the Wandale Robinson pick, but that was strange, wasn't it? I was not expecting that. Um, that, that was a player. High. Yeah, I was really, I was really optimistic about Robinson going into the combine when because he, he was listed at five eleven. I thought, you know, at worst he's going to be five nine and a three eighths or something like that. But he was five eight five eight. So that's that's very short. The only exception to the to the no five eight receivers allowed rule is basically Tyreek Hill, and he's the fastest player maybe ever. So um, I, I guess we'll see on Wandale. His production was awesome at Nebraska and uh, Kentucky. So I definitely don't want to bet against the guy exactly, but you know, it, him and Darden are like the the two guys that are the case studies beneath Tyreek Hill. There's no like, there's no like, there's no other thing that we can look at to see how it's going to go. So I, particularly with some other other guys that were on the board, I thought that was a strange pick, but I hope it works out. Yeah, it it was uh, I think a reach. It all things considered, like I, I I definitely didn't think that you needed to take an early second. On on and that's him, who's got to be replacing Tony, right? Like that's their Tony replacement. 
I mean, the, the very similar kind of like uh, the things that are slot. good about their game. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just get the like get get Wandale the ball in his hands the same way with, with Tony, but obviously Tony and and the Giants have kind of soured it, it like really quickly, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I think Wandale can can definitely do a lot of the things that, that Tony does. I think Tony's a little bit more explosive, but uh, that's still all good. And then um, I, I did notice that the that the Cordell flot pick it, yeah. that that stuck out to me as being pretty terrible, honestly. But yeah, so um, I didn't know anything about him, but I'm pretty sure the only thing I know about him is I remember him uh, getting like, I think he was one of the guys that got beat a bunch by Kylan Hill in that one game he played his senior year against LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, or his, yeah, so uh, I, if Flot isn't like a, a 4-2 guy, because he looks skinny and he doesn't really seem to do anything. If he's not like a 4-2 guy, I don't get that one at all. No, that, that one didn't make a ton of sense. And I think that's a good transition to um, – to go on ahead and, and move to some teams that did not uh, do particularly well uh, with, with their draft halls. Who in your mind was the biggest offender on that one? Uh, I don't know if there's, there's a single greatest offender. I mean, I didn't like many drafts this year. It was other than the Ravens and chiefs. I'm not sure there's any that I would call particular, I guess the Texans did. Okay. Um, but there's a lot that did badly. And I, I know in a case like the Packers, it's outside of their control in a way because those receivers that we were mocking to them all off season, just never even got close to them at 22nd overall. So that was, that was at once surprising, but also in, if we're holding these people account in professional capacities, they had to be ready for it. Like they had to, if they wanted to trade Devonte Adams and they wanted to go into this off season uh, with this, going to this draft with the personnel that they did, they can't let that happen to them. They have to be the team trading up. For, or they have to be the. They have to be the team um, trading up for, I guess, Burks uh, instead of uh, the Titans. And I know that it wasn't a trade up as much as a straight up AJ Brown for that pick kind of thing. But Packers still got to find a way. They have to sign somebody else. I guess if they do still sign Will Fuller or something, that would that would be a. It would at once be like a little bit light and late but it would be so much better than the alternative that they're otherwise staring down so i guess if they do that to be fair and if they if they trade for waller still or something to be fair that would be very different than what they're staring at right now but it, they're they're done like if, if they don't add more receiver if they don't have like a real wide receiver one type of function in this offense then you're getting the aaron Rodgers of two years ago which was the one that made this team uh wrong or not that's what led them to look at jordan love in the first place so uh this they're kind of like chasing the same outcome that brought them into this perilous place in the first place like they never should have had to trade Devonte adams um but like poor management in recent years because of the issue of not having enough pass catchers for rogers almost um gets them i'm not i'm not i'm, I'm picturing like a diagram in my head and i'm not explaining it as well as i'd like to but like they they got themselves in this position for the same reason that they're going to fail the next two years, I think. And um, if, if, if Rogers is only getting two years ago, Rogers, then, you know, they're not competing for anything. Yeah, no, this, so uh, they're, they're in that tricky spot and that, you know, it really couldn't have gone worse. They should have took Pickens. Like, why didn't you just take Pickens, you morons? See it. Yep. So they end, they end up with Christian Watson. That one felt like it was written in the stars, basically. After yeah. Getting they blew the first it. Round. I mean, he's interesting for fantasy, if only because no one else can play outside in that offense except Lazard, basically. Um, and Watkins, I guess, but I don't know what we can really count on with that. I guess Watkins could he's, – he's so crazy. He It wouldn't be that shocking if he had, like, the best year of his career uh, at this point. Uh, like, if he did some uh, – what was it, like an Antonio Bryant kind of career trajectory or something like that, where he had that one insane year with the Bengals that made no sense. Um, but short of that – the only guy you can line up outside now is Christian Watson. Uh, with that said, I don't know how polished he's going to be, how ready he's going to be for actual routes and targets. So he might get a lot of decoy stuff. He might he might be uh, a Marquez Valdez-Scantling with slightly better hands, but who still doesn't draw as many targets per snap as Valdez-Scantling has over the past three years, just because Marquez Valdez-Scantling was like uh, three years older than Watson during that sample. So uh, you know, we wouldn't expect that. I don't think anyway, we would expect like rookie year Valdez Scantling um, to step up 
and be what he was for the Packers the last two years. Sure. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. So, yeah, th- I think that, you know, you can you can pretty easily draw out his path to targets um, or path to snaps. But um, as far as, you know, him actually converting those snaps into into getting targets from Rodgers, because Rodgers obviously like famously finicky with, with you know, oh, this guy doesn't get out of this route the way that I like it. So uh, he is dead to me uh, type of deal. So. Um, they might have to limit Watson's routes to to stuff, you know, like fly routes and like play action posts, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then they hope otherwise he can block well being as, you know, 64208. Yeah. And then uh, I, I always was a Romeo Dubes uh, fan. So uh, I thought that that was an all right pick where it was. I could and not then, figure him out, you know, like I, I yeah. like him too, but I, I like couldn't figure, I was looking at the numbers. I'm like, damn, these numbers are really good. No athletic testing is hard to know, but um, I'm really rooting for him. It sounds like he had kind of like a, a rough kind of path to this point, and it would, it would be nice to see him uh, have some success there. Yes, to, despite Marlon Humphrey's wishes, uh, absolutely. And then, um, so I, I had forgotten about Samari Torre, but I thought that that was a fine seventh round little dart. I mean, he he was killer at Montana years ago. Didn't play in 2020 because the uh, FCS canceled the season because of COVID. Goes to Nebraska last year steps in and just immediately like leads them in, in pretty much every re- major receiving category. So, I mean, like as far as seventh round darts are concerned, I didn't think that was a bad one. Yeah. Um, I gotta admit, I, I don't know a whole lot about him. He was one of those guys that I kind of brushed past because of be- being a little older. Uh, his, his production was, was like you said, good, but I couldn't tell how good and he didn't really have a great athletic testing, but, um, He's, he's interesting because he's lighter than most receivers that the Packers draft. Like, he's kind of skinny. So, I wonder if that just, you know, they saw something in him that uh, was memorable that, that doesn't show up in the athletic testing or the stats. Yeah, so that must be something there in, in his game that, that they liked. But, you know, I, I think he can make the roster. I don't think that, you know, he's a he's an impact guy barring. Like, Get Juwan Winfrey off the roster. My God. I mean, I, I hope he can, you know, go scam some other team. But, uh <laughs> It's it's ridiculous watching the Packers put players like him and Darius Shepard on the field the past few years. Some te- some teams just do not take their depth position scouting seriously, or they're, they're just bad at it. And the Packers are definitely one of them. So, uh, getting getting Torre on the field instead of Winfrey would be one of those cases where it it shouldn't, but it might improve the offense a surprising amount just because of how many snaps they wasted last year on that guy. Yeah, exactly. Like that that he's just not cutting it out there um before we we get on to the next team we got a message from our friends over at dynasty owner do you love fantasy sports are you ready for a new challenge this year dynasty owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real nfl salaries adding the strategy of running an actual front office dynasty owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager you will have you will have complete control over your team's future you can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and start building your dynasty today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next team up on the chopping block, the Niners. <laughs> yeah, um, that what Tyrion? What's his name? Tyrion. Tyrion uh, Davis Price. Tyrion Davis Price. I mean, I guess to be fair, it was toward the end of the third round, but that is a guy who I would not draft in a million years. I would never pick a player like that. And um, the basic issue with him is his stats make clear that he can't play running back. Like he's, he's had plenty of time at LSU to get on the field and get snaps. We've seen other players at LSU play the same position in comparable circumstances and do a lot more, including a guy like Darrell Williams, even. So uh, the, the other important thing to keep in mind here is Kyle Shanahan is so bad at scouting running backs. He is one of the absolute worst talent scouts in the NFL. He can only see his own vision of, of his like scheme playing out to the point that he, I think he can't see what's actually in front of him. And he just, he just looks for things that he wants to see in certain players without actually looking at tangible details with them, such as being able to demonstrate the ability to run at all, even though you're in an, a generally you know favorable playing situation in college. And beyond that, his athletic traits are not good either. Like, why the hell would someone find Tyrion, uh, what's his name, preferable to even a guy like Master Teague who went undrafted? Like, at least Master Teague, even though he didn't put up big numbers either, he's huge and fast. This guy, the LSU one, he's kind of fast. Like, he's he's not slow, but he's not even that fast. Like, he's not sure as hell not a burner, and he's upright and skinny. So he's not going to play much running back in the NFL. But they spent a third-round pick on him anyway. Uh, Trey Sermon was not a player I was high on last year, but he is clearly a much better prospect than this LSU one. Yeah, I, I think that part of me just thinks that, like, Davis Price got drafted for, like, one game. Like his uh, his almost 300 yard game against Florida just kind of like vaulted him into, you know, fringe draftable territory, but certainly not so like dumb, day man. two. Like it's that. so dumb because also it's like even in that one game, it's like they were just getting giving up a lot of chunk yardage. Like if his speed couldn't show up on the field for a long touchdown in that game, when is it ever going to be when is he ever going to actually be a functionally fast player as opposed to a player who can kind of run in a, a straight line fast? but never on a football field with the football in his hands. Um, I don't understand. I don't understand what Shanahan thinks he's ever doing with running backs. I mean, he drafted Elijah Mitchell on accident. He took him three rounds later. The whole league screwed up with Mitchell in hindsight. Um, there was reason to think so at the time, but it's totally clear now, but yeah, he took him three rounds later than sermon who he just, he looks, he gets him to training camp and basically right away is like, actually he sucks. I hate him. It's like, well, why'd you take him in the third round? Three rounds ahead of the guy. That's good. Uh, Shanahan doesn't know what he's doing. He's the one who also took like Joe Williams. Like, I don't even think this LSU guy is going to push Jamichael Hasey off the roster, let alone, uh, you know, a player like Sermon or so, some camp invite might beat this guy out for a roster spot. So it's, it's a bad pick. And Danny Gray is, is okay. I guess I, I that, that pick, I, I was kind of like, I, I was, I was critical of it. Cause I don't think Shanahan actually has a, a position for this guy. I don't think he can play in the Shanahan offense. But if Shanahan changes his offense to have more decoy functions, then yeah, Gray can do that. He's he, he's definitely as fast as uh, as you know the legend says. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're not if you're not giving him an actual role that suits him, that doesn't matter either. So we'll we'll see. I, I don't trust Shanahan uh, with anything other than X's and O's. Yeah, no, I've yeah the the talent evaluation side of it uh, continues to to be um, a pretty substantial issue uh, for him. And, and yeah, so some of those picks just we're not head scr- or we're head scratchers uh, and that, that we have a pattern established of that over several drafts now um, at this point. Um, let's get on to some, some rookies that um, let's start with the first round guys. I think that, you know, I was, I was looking at the, at the odds for offensive rookie of the year and, and Chris Olave is down at like the eighth or ninth uh, highest odds. He's plus 1100 over at, at bed MGM. So you have guys like Sky Moore, Christian Watson, Traylon Burks all ahead of him. And then I mean, Drake, Drake, Drake London, <laughs> the odds on favorite, but I mean, it's, 
I mean, that seems like a screeching value to, to me, like oh, to yeah. the point where like, I'm, I might just have to like drive to t- Tennessee again to like get, to get that number because I thought Olave was one of the big winners from, from oh, yeah. I thought he like, we already thought he was great. And I, I think that we kind of correctly pointed out that a lot of this, a lot of the, how this rookie pecking order is going to go is going to be related to the landing spots. And I don't think that there could have been a better fit between team and player than Chris Olave. I think that this this is just like an all systems go type of thing. I think that he's going to be a guy who has a path to targets right away. I know the Saints don't have the best quarterback situation, but it's still better probably than, you know, what what Jamison Williams is going to be dealing with in Detroit, what what uh Traylon Burks is going to be dealing with um in Tennessee and the the list goes on and, you know, Garrett Wilson, he's going to have a lot of competition for targets and if Zach Wilson just keeps getting himself sacked all the time, then it doesn't really matter. So Olave, yeah. I Man, it just it sets up so nicely. People don't want to see it. I don't know why. Some people, of course, see it, and others, though, it, it seems to be the Garrett Wilson hive. I, I maybe I'm slandering them, but um, they they just are so committed to not just Garrett Wilson being some version of good or even the best that they're like, no, he's way better than Chris Olave too. And I wonder if some of this enduring skepticism around Olave is just people standing by their prior evaluation rather than just kind of considering the possibility that they were wrong, which uh, they are. Uh, Chris Olave is definitely about as good as Wilson, if not better. The idea that they're apart from each other is nonsense. Um, So the crucial thing here too is Chris Olave is a lot better. Uh, Chris Olave at like 19 years old is a lot better than Marquez Callaway is right now. So he, I don't know if people look at Callaway and say like, Oh, he's got Olave's got competition because of uh, Callaway and, uh, whatever Deontay Harris is like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Michael Thomas has competition for targets now and it's Chris Olave. Yeah. So uh, Jamison, James, uh, James Winston and his chucking tendencies, uh, the, the, the spray accuracy, that's not great for real life football for winning and getting to the playoffs, but it's fine for Olave because he, he, he's probably best unleashed by a chucker anyway like someone or someone who's willing to throw downfield anyway and Winston's definitely willing to do that 100% so I, I think this sets up nicely and you know Michael Thomas is like you know he's going to when you have a guy like Winston it's not going to be like 2018 Saints where, where the ball was going to Michael Thomas every play and it just didn't matter because he was you know at that time he was so he was so killer on the short and intermediate stuff like who even knows what what you know iteration of Michael Thomas we're going to see this year, but Olave can win it at, you know, every level of the field. Not worried about that. Olave might take over the wide receiver one role in this offense this year. Yes. So I, I'm, I couldn't be more in on him uh, for, for this year. I'm and and obviously beyond, but um, you know, I think some people might mistake just because Wilson or or Drake London, Drake London, I think it is, um, you know, sort of like what you're saying, like for fantasy, Jameis Winston is, is good for real life purposes. Maybe not the best, like the Falcons taking Drake London, maybe not the best team building uh, strategy, but at the same time, like that, they, they didn't have a viable starting NFL pass catcher on that roster other than Kyle Pitts going into Thursday night. So you go ahead and you add him and stylistically, you have two huge, huge guys like that can play above the rim. I mean, I liked that pick quite a bit, yeah. actually. Um, and, and the cool thing, I, I think it, it, it it fits really well with the broader Arthur Smith project, I think, in that London's not like a bruiser player or anything. Oh, he's, not, he's not some psycho news. blocker. Got some breaking news. Cardinals Pro Bowl receiver DeAndre Hopkins is being suspended six games for violating the, the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, now, now Cliff has another excuse for why they totally blow it this year. Um, by the way, their draft sucked. And they were getting a lot of praise for it, which irritates me. Um, Josh Kime is not capable of a good draft. What are you thinking? <laughs> if you think it looks good, you were just wrong about something. Kime can't do anything right, except uh, I don't want to. I don't want to defame. And he got DUIs. Okay, so yeah, he. That's about all he's good at. <laughs> so the Trey McBride pick was stupid after the Zach Ertz extension. That the Marquise Brown trade. Granted, they have more use for him with Hopkins off the field, but they're going to line him up where they needed Rondale Moore to step up anyway. They're going to use Marquise Brown as a Christian Kirk replacement. He's not big enough to line up outside in that offense. Without Hopkins on the field, you're going to get more Antoine Wesley, not more Rondale Moore. So uh, have fun with that, everybody. Yeah, so that – yeah, that 
Yeah, now that you meant, now that you bring it up that Stupid way, and like ass team, I'm so sick of seeing Kime and Cliff just get failing upward eternally. It's yeah, it's it's tough scene there. So yeah, wow, um, that that changes things. It probably probably could serve as like a, a little bit of a tiebreaker if you're in draft. Oh, I love the Keontae just... Ingram pick though. I like James yeah. Conner, but he he's got those durability troubles. If he gets hurt, Ingram to the moon, my friend. He's I love him. I love Ingram. There we go. But mint that baby. But um. Looking to elsewhere, how bad is it? Uh, of I mean, it, it's just like a, to me, it's like a one-year problem, probably because of of how things are probably going to go with Jared Goff. But uh, I couldn't think of a worse pairing that, than a guy who averages less than seven yards on his depth of throws, and then you have yeah. Jamison Williams. Like, if anything, like I think that, that there's sort of like a a a development here where. I'm a, I'm a lot more interested in Amon Ross St. Brown now as a result of this, but I, I think that basically Williams is an expensive decoy for this year. Yeah, I think so too, but I I kind of like it from the Lions' angle. Like I don't like it from our, our angle as potential fantasy investors in Williams, but for the Lions, it's the same thing with Chark. Like I'm a DJ Chark fan. I don't like seeing him sign with the Lions, but I understand why the Lions signed him. Like they're 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 leaning into the idea about like kind of what the Dolphins and the Jets tried to this offseason of just what if we give our quarterback just such good weapons? Like what if we just give him just kick ass weapons at every rep? Maybe he'll look good even if he's not good. And it could be true. And I, I understand why, you know, a bad quarterback draft class like this one would push them, would give them a little more reason towards, you know, entertaining that premise. But it's also a little frustrating to me because it's like, well, then you shouldn't have took Sewell last year. If you weren't if you weren't ready to identify someone in this draft class that you could pick to give yourself an upgrade over Jared Goff, then you need to take Justin Fields and let Sewell go. I know Sewell's a great prospect, but let it go. You need a quarterback. And Jared Goff is not going to cut it no matter who his receivers are, is what unfortunately they're going to find out. But they're gonna they rationalize it probably and they'll rationalize it at that point as well, it was the best we could have done at the time. And at least we got good players at other positions with the picks that we uh, maybe should have used on quarterback. And that is true. And, you know, Chark is only on a one-year deal. So he's more than likely going to walk after this year. So Jameson Williams is kind of, uh, Chark is just the bridge to Williams rather than like the two both clouding the picture in the long term. But as great as I think Jameson Williams is, and as much as uh, I do think he'll do something useful, even with Goff at quarterback, uh, I just I had you know visions of that guy being like a fourteen hundred yard player, you know, with someone like Justin Herbert throwing passes to him, and now we're sure as hell not going to get that. No, no, we definitely not. Um, so I'm just, I feel like we're doing this pod a year from now or or after the season. Like J- Jameson Williams will be like my number one buy low in, in dynasty, but um, I, I think for for right now. Where where you have to take him, I, I just don't really think it is going to be uh, worth it. Yeah, check um, the price in like October when he only has like 300 yards, and people are starting to say, "Oh, he's a bust." Khalif Raymond has more yards. Like, yeah, it's it's like a six game sample. Shut up. But, you're uh, right, exactly. So, uh, looking forward to to the uh, roller coaster narrative uh, when it, when it comes to to Williams. Christian Watson's better. They should have took him. That's what someone's gonna say it. All right, all right, done. I'm done with it. All right. <laughs> Uh, Scott wants to know if we think that Romeo dubs, uh, could he have some great upside? Uh, touched on that a, a little bit earlier, but, um, He's super think, productive there, you know, crazy productive like it. And, you know, I thought he, I thought his 2020 was better than his 2021. I thought that they, you know, maybe overused Cole Turner a little bit this past year at the, at the, oh, yeah. you know, at the detriment of, um, I'll be right back by the way. I'm not going anywhere. You're good. Uh, of Romeo dubs, but I, I still think that the dubs can, can definitely, develop into something i thought that he was a, a totally um worthwhile selection for for the packers where, where they did um end up getting him uh is brian robinson better than uh antonio gibson uh no um oh you i know, hated it, that pick I, it wasn't good um yeah get gibbo uh that things are things are looking a little bit tough for him but um the you internet know, I, I, troll large david is just so happy <laughs> these days with that robinson pick he is big, but uh, yes, uh, yeah. I don't think that Robinson Robinson is basically like a Zamir White type. Like, I just don't think it, it's all that impressive. I, when it, when I it don't think he's him. gonna 
I don't think he's going to get like 200 NFL carries in his career. He wouldn't have been drafted if not for COVID giving him a fifth year at Alabama where he was basically a backup for four years. He's the worst Alabama running back since like, I don't know. I'm not trying to drop names on you people, but like Shaud Williams or Glenn Coffey or something like mm. that. He's not a serious NFL prospect. He's not going to play. Be, if you're going to be worried for Antonio Gibson uh, and his backups or whatever, you might as well worry about Jarrett Patterson while you're at it. Yeah, and fair enough. I mean, maybe he will take away reps. I don't know. <laughs> like Robinson won't. No, I, I don't. I don't think so either. Um, while we're on the Alabama train right now, Mechie, forty fourth. Like I, that seemed crazy to me. Um, his over under was fifty six and a half. You, I, I messaged you. I think Thursday morning, being like, how yeah. crazy is this? And then I, I looked at your mock, and you had him going. I think like forty fourth. Well, that was only because the 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 you know word was getting out a little. I didn't particularly expect that. I, I might have. I was probably a little too critical of Mechie on my initial run through. I, I probably, I probably wrote him off because he's clearly a level below below these other Alabama receivers. But it's like, well, geez, they they were insanely good. It's it's conceivable that you know he's worth a second rounder, even though he's not worth a first, even if he's a clear level below. It's not, and it's. Moreover, it's not like he's Slade Bolden, you know. So, uh, I think I think Mechie should give them some quality reps. Uh, you know, like maybe never be a great player, but at least a glue guy. I think he he's a good football player. I just don't think that there's much to look at there fantasy wise. Like it, he just like he he does a lot of the the dirty work. Like he he was a really good like blocker, and and you know he's he's solid at everything that he does. But I just don't think that there's anything. Um, all that exceptional. Our our guy Crackshot seems to to disagree, um, but that's okay. You know that's that's what it's all about. But <laughs> well, they got um, Brandon Cooks. <laughs> yeah, that I don't. Yeah, I, not not quite there on that one. But um, yeah, and then Mechie also. You know, obviously we talk about Jameson Williams and him coming off the knee injury, but Mechie tore his ACL in the in the um, SEC championship right. game. So he's he's a month further along in in his recovery. But I mean, that's still uh, something to you know monitor. I, I know that I'm sort of speaking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm like, Williams is going to play week one. And then I'm like throwing shade at Mechie, but um, I, yeah, I don't he know. He should be like fine it, too. And, and the, he, he'll be like a swing backup type, I think between the slot and the outside and probably play something like 600, 650 snaps or something like that at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. That, that definitely checks out. Um, Scott notes that, that about the uh, DeAndre Hopkins suspension. So if you weren't with us earlier in the show, Hopkins, Suspended for six games, uh, so uh, tough times out there. Kyler in, should in change Arizona. his mind and just say, like, actually, I do want to be traded now. Um, <laughs> yeah, for real. I am re- now I am, I'm not just unfollowing, I am blocking the Cardinals. There we go. Um, let's see. Traylon Burks. I think that the, I think he's set up to fail. What do you think? You, you do? Um, I mean, it's, it's a lot of pressure right away. And yeah. there were whispers about him maybe not being uh, the most easily implemented player. Like they, they probably went to great lengths at Arkansas to feature him the way that they did. And it might not quite be as easy for most NFL offenses, certainly to, to feature up, to build around one player that way. But I guess if there's an exception, it really would be the Titans. And as great as I think AJ Brown is, there is a certain level of production that he provided from routes that were rather primitive, just, you know, like post routes, uh, t- what 12 yard in routes stuff like that off of the play action and it's like man it doesn't matter how bad with uh you know the playbook Traylon Burks is if, if he can just do those two routes he might be good for 800 yards in that offense you know so if he can learn a third one maybe he can really push for AJ Brown levels but you're right it's, it's not like he's going to have any time to uh ease into it they're just going to kind of throw him out there and uh he might sink a little bit. I think he'll get there eventually, but it might be kind of it might be surprisingly rough for a little while. That that that's my big expectation. I I, I don't want to say that he'll never develop into something. Um, he he definitely has like the the unique tools and everything. To, I mean, there. I I was never quite on the. I felt queasy when I took him one one in in the rookie draft back in like February or something. But um, yeah, there is there is a re, there's a reason why there there's hype. Um, and it worked but, out his upside is huge on that team as much as there's maybe more, there's probably a lot more risk actually than even a guy like London, just because London's just so easy as a projection, I think, but there is a ton of upside with Burks there too. If, if he does, you know, have the better version of himself step forward. So let, let's, let's like break it down. So 
he obviously played like a ton of his snaps at Arkansas out of the slot. So I, I don't know if, if like, you know, are they going to keep him there? They, they obviously signed Robert Woods too, and he's going to be mostly a slot guy. And then, I mean, the, I think the he'll be outside that, usually like they, they got that. Uh, what Kyle Phillips, they're going to have to mm-hmm. make him the Chester Rogers now, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's a good point. Um, so, so do you think that they're just going to be like an, an added learning curve there when, when it comes to Burks, because he's going to have to like, just learn, learn how to play X. I don't know. Uh, not really. I do think they'll keep his routes pretty simple if necessary. And if he's, if Derrick Henry's getting those play action looks set up, uh, Burks should be able to thrive there, uh, even if he's well short of the AJ Brown level. But you know, now that I, now that I'm thinking about it more, I I am pretty concerned. I guess for Burks, like it's it's easy to see the upside, but the concern is pretty real for me because I think the Titans are toast. I think they're they're over. Uh, what, yeah, I don't even remember what what was their stupid first round pick again. Um, oh, sorry, the second one. I mean, I like Burks actually, by the way, uh, especially for the the upside that I think he has. I think it's worth taking on some risk. Was it like Roger uh, McCreary or something? Oh, that's, uh, oh, that was actually fine. I guess total Vrabel pick there, but uh, there was something else I didn't, I guess I just hate that they didn't add a guard. Like they didn't replace Roger Saffold. Um, so yeah, I think they're, they're, they're just kind of, they're just kind of random in the way they approach so many things. I don't know if it's like Vrabel runs the draft because it kind of seems like he does with the way it's just kind of like, I don't know, so meatheaded, everything they do. <laughs> um, but I, I just think Tannehill's totally, totally sucks. Uh, I think uh, with a bad offensive line and, and no A.J. Brown to, to confuse people about uh, Tannehill's usefulness, uh, they're just going to sink and they're going to play hard and be annoying. But I think like one of their one of the more realistic outcomes is like a last year's Lions kind of thing where it's like they're paying in the ass to play probably, but you're, you're usually beating them. Yeah, that. Softest uh, one seed in the out of the AFC in quite some time. I, you know, I could I could pretty easily see them uh, not making the postseason this year, especially with Indianapolis yeah, going to be better. Um, Mark wants to know who do we like better in rookie drafts, Tyler Algier or James Cook? Well, I would have to. I am a James Cook skeptic for the most part, but I would still say James Cook just because you can probably move him for Algier and more stuff if you really want Algier. I like Algier too. I'm, I'm pretty high on him, I guess, probably a little higher than most people. Uh, I don't think he's as talented as someone like Kevin Harris that went around later, but, um, and I, I actually have a decent amount of respect for Damian Williams even, but Algier just might be a pretty good runner, you know, like it's, I guess it was probably somewhat due to the system at BYU, but he put up big numbers there. And he, even though he's slow, he found ways to get to the open field and kind of just keep distance from people. So I like his chances but the average person thinks Cook is clearly more valuable. So you can just at the very least take him and move him for Algier and some, you know, upgrade at a backup spot or whatever, or another. Yeah. I, I don't maybe. love the landing spot for Cook. Like it, I, I'm the draft capital doinks though, are telling everyone like it's a lock. He's on the high scoring offense. He's a second round draft capital. Here's the historical success of second round running backs and offenses that score this many points. Like doesn't matter. He's a third down back. You remember the JC, JD McKissick signing. That's that. Yeah, pretty much, man. So, uh, you know, I, I, I like James Cook, but I, I think you have, you know, reasons to be to be skeptical. I mean, he never take was advantage even... of his inflated market, sell him high. Uh, he could be sold if he if he has so much as like a three catch game in October, his value will go way back up. So I'm not saying this is your last chance to sell him. But if you want to, if you see some other opportunity, take it, I say. There it is. And then um, anything else to add? Any other um, guys that caught your eye? I mean, I we would be remiss if we went like a full hour and didn't mention Brees Hall, but thoughts on Brees Hall to the, to the Jets? I like the pick. Uh, I was I was emboldened. I, I like it even more now that I've seen some of the, the worst thinkers in NFL media hate that pick uh, because they traded up for a running back. Uh, it's good to see people who are always wrong disagree with you. And uh, for that reason, I think Hall looks golden just as he did before. I mean, him and Michael Carter can coexist, by the way, especially because – they have a crappy court or, you know, a quarterback who hasn't done anything good yet. So uh, they're going to have the luxury of leaning on the ground game with volume. And, and it's not going to be easy for a defense to deal with those two players. So they're, they're a much more competitive team with Hall. There's no question. Okay. I, I, I like the pick too. And, you know, having good running backs is never a bad thing, especially like you said, when, when Zach Wilson 
um, still a question mark at, at this stage. Uh, we'll end on this guy because I, I think that the the hype is is pretty. It's always been kind of crazy, and now with with the landing spot, uh, doubly so. Damian Pierce. Huh. Well, he was in that category, that rather inclusive category of running back, where you look at him and you say, I don't really see anything that stands out exactly. I don't think he's like a day two pick or anything. But if he ended up playing for some team, I guess he could be productive. You know, he's, he's not some bum. He could probably do something. And so if he's playing snaps in Houston, I, I like his chances enough. I mean, I think he's he's better than some other running backs we've seen get big workloads in recent NFL seasons. But uh, I don't know what to take with that team as far as trust. You know, like, a, do I trust them to play him over Rex Burkhead? Not at all. I don't. Rex Burkhead might be just playing better for all I know. That's a possibility, too. So uh, with Pierce, I think you're definitely chasing like the perceived opportunity rather than, you know, talent or whatever. Uh, he's not better than some of the running backs who went after him, in my opinion. So uh, if someone needs to believe that he's like as good as where he went to justify buying in, I would be less hesitant. But if it's just the opportunity that you care about, it's kind of hard to argue with that. No, exa- exactly. Like, go, go, whoever, whichever running back Houston was going to take was automatically going to have their value go up just because of, you know, I, I just think that the rest of that backfield core, I mean, you mentioned Rex Burkhead and like that, you know, that there's a chance that things are just annoying in Houston once again, of course. But okay. um, I, I think at the same time, you know, that it's not that hard to see a path to, to Pierce getting a, a, you know, being fantasy relevant right away. Yeah, he's he's not bad, you know, like the worst players than him have had productive fantasy stretches and even careers. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so keep an eye on, on Pierce, um, obviously fortuitous uh, landing spot for him, but that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Roadwire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.